You're listening to Beyond the Studio, a podcast for artists. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. We're both independent working artists ourselves. And here on the podcast, we have honest conversations with fellow visual artists about their careers and the real work that happens beyond the studio. You can find us online at our website, beyondthe.studio, or on social media at Beyond the Studio, where we share episode links, visuals, and so much more. If you're an artist and would like to be featured on our social media, or maybe even on the show, you can submit yourself to our listener spotlight and share what you're learning beyond the studio. Just follow the link in our show notes or go to beyondthe.studio slash contact. Beyond the Studio is a fiscally sponsored project of Independent Arts and Media, I Am, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can make contributions to the podcast by going over to our website, beyondthe.studio slash about, and click on the button that says donate here. All donations made through I Am are tax deductible. Your support is greatly appreciated and goes directly towards sustaining the work of the podcast. If you love the show and haven't rated, reviewed, or shared the podcast, what are you waiting for? Please take a moment to show us your support. If you've already done this, thank you. It means so much to us, and it's one of the best ways to help us keep going and growing. Today on Beyond the Studio, we are so thrilled to be speaking with Tamar Clark-Brown and Ava Yeager, two curators from Serpentine Galleries in London, about their work at Serpentine Arts Technologies, their current exhibition with Gabriel Masson, and the broader ways that emerging technologies are shaping the work and working conditions of artists today. Uh, So first of all, thank you both so much for speaking with us. Really nice to be here. Really, really good to be here. That's the invitation. Absolutely. Um, Before we get into the exhibition and some of these larger topics I just mentioned, I was hoping that you could both introduce yourselves a little further by telling us a little bit more about what you do and how you came to work with Serpentine Arts Technologies. Maybe, Ava, we could start with you. Sure. So I'm a curator within the, the Arts Technologies program. And I had a quite circuitous journey, I think, to working in this way. I have a a BFA and a master's in design, so I'm much more of a, I guess, practitioner in a lot of ways. But my work has always been very research-based. And when I moved to London, I met two really important people, Kay Watson, who's the head of our department now, and Ben Vickers, who was the head of our department at the time. And I really f- sort of fell into the wormhole of uh, <laughs> working on really interesting projects that were both sort of questioning the role of technology in society, uh, together with artists, designers, architects, writers, all kinds of you know creative practitioners and I would include like engineers and scientists in that as well and um, they had an opening for associate curator and they really wanted someone who was coming at it from a very hands-on make maker point of view and that was me so I'm very fortunate to to have gotten to like work with so many amazing, interesting, uh, thought-provoking people and get to build so many projects from the ground up together with them. Amazing. Thank you. 
and then um, I guess I'll jump in as well. I guess a slightly different, maybe a more traditional route um, ish. So I did study curating um, as a master's, but my first degree was in uh, literature and language. Um, for me, it was always kind of like a, a toss up between language and literature and art. And then I kind of stumbled into a space and found a place where it could be both and all, you know. And for me, I started in curating and started off at a place of working with archives. So there's an amazing gallery within London called Autograph ABP, which is a black photography gallery and archive. And the first project I worked on there very practically. So this was um, whilst I was studying and I was also actually funnily enough working at Serpentine as an assistant at the time as well. So I was doing a lot of different kind of internship and half jobs at the time. But I was working on a project called uh, The Missing Chapter, which was all about finding the earliest black British presence within London, within England. And that kind of was was really like a jump start for me in terms of like what can happen with curating or with art in terms of bringing voices forward or bringing unheard narratives forward, bringing erased histories forward, all of these kind of things. And that really segues into the work that I'm currently doing with Gabrielle. But also, in general, it's really kind of the approach I like to take to a lot of the projects I do. That's what gets me excited, like being able to give someone a space for storytelling and to share their stories to connect with other people that also want to write different things or make certain things more heard or visible, whether that's to do with power structures, which is a lot of the work that Arts Tech does, which is incredible. A lot of the projects that have been worked on before that I before I joined, including Hito and Style, and a lot of different practitioners were interested in and engaged with are really looking at how you can kind of uh, distribute power differently or how you can kind of take a civic approach to technologies. So I think that's one of the reasons that you know it really inspired me and empowered me to join the team, which I did in 2020. So originally I was working with the live programs team in Serpentine went away, did some of my own projects, was working on curating art and technology series for a uh, Bloomberg YouTube series, which was great in terms of like, um, I suppose, aligning a lot of practitioners that were coming at things in different ways. And then, yeah, ended up at Serpentine again, which is great. Joining the new team and sort of figuring out how I could also add a voice to the amazing work they're already doing. Yeah, for those not familiar, could you tell us a little bit more about Serpentine's various initiatives and then more specifically about Serpentine Arts Technologies, where you're both working as curators? Serpentine um, broadly is kind of known as being the place where, or one of the places where artists really come to, you know, we say like what our creative director, artistic director, sorry, is famous for a phrase, which is what is your unrealized project? And I think a lot of people that come to Serpentine you know, it's a commissioning organisation uh, institution, it's a legacy institution, and a lot of it has a reputation for really championing artists. You know, it's artist-led, so we really, really do get behind what the artists are interested in. We really try to work on projects that allow us to build a team to support that, support their vision, and also us learn in the process. So Serpentine, more broadly, kind of, I'd say, kind of remodelled a little bit around three pillars in the past couple of years, which included ecology, technology, and civic. So we really pride ourselves on being this artist-led and kind of community-led um, organization. And Serpentine Arts Technologies especially uh, is really about sort of supporting artists that are able to kind of develop ambitious artworks that deploy advanced technologies as a medium, as a topic, as a tool, and um, often beyond gallery walls. So we're really thinking, especially coming out of the pandemic, there was, you know, a really big push on what does it, you know, what is digital, what does that mean? 
that was a big digital turn but for us it's really about kind of the long-term view um, and really being able to hold ourselves kind of accountable in terms of um, working with artists on more research-led or um, more R&D that allows us to get kind of behind the nitty-gritty and really look at the kind of support structures that they might need to be built to support their work or you know what is the ongoing and upcoming conversations that we can get critically involved in so i'd say that that leads us to you know different types of roles maybe ava do you want to talk about the labs yeah maybe i can just also add that within the arts technologies team as a whole we sort of are working towards this idea that cultural production and the organizational forms that support that production are a means for turning technology into a social and creative medium and one that's driven by things outside of market interests necessarily although of course market dynamics are very important to the development of technology um, and it's something we consider but i think in general our work is about bringing artists upstream of technological development so we're not just asking them to use something once it's been developed but asking them also to think about how it's being shaped and how in turn it's shaping us and that can take many forms so some artists choose to create an alternative version of a technology which they want to see open sourced for example or sometimes artists want to make an intervention Sometimes they want to use the technology or break it or use it in a way it's never been used before. And I think as sort of practitioners within the institution, we're also asking ourselves, how can we support that work having wider impact? Because, of course, we can't depend just on, you know, a single artistic practice to, you know, (laughs) change the whole like, you know, tech stack dynamic that we live in today Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and so with our R&D platform and the labs and this kind of arts tech initiative which we've been very fortunate that the institution has really been supportive of where I guess we are creating a self-reflexive space where we're trying to understand how the institution needs to redesign itself so that it can better support that kind of work so that we're not just talking about or 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 in, engaging only in critique or in sort of discourse creation which is, is super important but that there could also be potential for real ecosystemic infrastructural change through the work of the institution and i guess i will um just add on to the end of that just i think um ava and i we all have very i suppose flexible roles I'd say within the team you know often because it is often artist-led or, or increasingly kind of network-led um, which I think April will probably talk about um, in regards to future art ecosystems a bit um, in more depth later there is that sense that we really want to kind of invest in um, projects as prototypes we really want to see what it can be to offer a model or a new way of doing something that can also inspire other artists other organizations other institutions, other collectives to really reconsider the way that they're doing and kind of us, you know, jump forward or I don't put the word forward, but jump together, I suppose. And that manifests, you know, it might manifest in a research collective, it might manifest in an actual physical commission project, it might manifest in a producing a game, we've been producing a lot of games over the past year. Um, it might manifest in an artist developing new tools that 
for example, uh, artist called Danielle Brathwaite Shirley, who we developed a new kind of um, unconscious control, as she calls it, for gaming, um, which was based around eye tracking. One was based around eye tracking, and one was based around based around eye tracking and jumping. I'm getting, getting, I'm getting those unconscious uh, moments, but I have nothing to. They happen all the time. Um, but really, it's about figuring out how we can, you know, Danielle really wanted to kind of hack hack gaming and really wanted to bring forward a different kind of audience, bring forward a different type of engagement with art, which is something that we're also interested in. For Danielle, it was really about like, how can you, I suppose, work with people's even unconscious um, impulses or bring forward an audience that uh, allows the work and allows the space to be more interactive allows that kind of feedback to happen within the space or through the work that I think, you know, advanced technologies really offer the opportunity to play with that and, and uh, kind of see what else can happen and see how far audiences can kind of come with the artists. So we're really, really blessed, I think, to be able to work with artists that are really interested in kind of pushing the bounds in the same way as we are and saying that, you know, there used to be a certain way that you might expect to see something in a space but we're not we're not that interested in necessarily maintaining those things we're interested to see from the ground up what people want to do now um, and how we could move things forward mm -hmm. yeah i think it's important to know that serpentine has this emphasis on helping artists to realize new projects and asking what what is the next ambitious thing that you want to do or commissioning new bodies of work and it sounds like even more so within serpentine arts technologies being kind of at the forefront of working with artists to question and shape the kinds of technologies that they're using in their work. Um, so you already sort of answered this question around uh, what Serpentine's approach to evolving technologies has been and how this has shaped uh, your collaborations with artists in various ways. Uh, so I wonder if this might be a good segue to talking more about the exhibition that you've been working on currently with Gabriel Massan um, and what are some of the specific ways that's manifested through that project. Sure. So we have an incredible exhibition launching June 23rd publicly in Third World, The Bottom Dimension, which is led by a digital artist, multidisciplinary digital artist called Gabriel Massan. Um, the exhibition is based around a video game that we've been developing for just over a year now. And the game itself, it's kind of, it started off as a, as many of our projects do, as a kind of small R&D process. It actually began as the second edition of a project called Artist Worlds, which was looking at artists working with simulated uh, realities, virtual environments. And um, we first got it with an artist called Jakob Goodstein, who we'd worked with a couple of times before, or it was actually my first time working with Jakob, but the team had worked with Jakob a few times before, developing an incredible tool um, for the Orch Works within Hyde Park that was about kind of listening or sort of deep listening within the within the park and listening to species looking at how technology can kind of help us to take a slower and more engaged take have a, a more slower and engaged relationship with uh, nature and ecology so we're really looking around for the next artists for this project or for this for this series rather um, you know doing studio visit studio visit and came across gabrielle and i think i'm i i'm quite a intuitive person i should say like i think it's it, which is maybe a little bit i don't know if that's kind of technique but, you know, we're having so many, so many conversations with Gabriel and a lot of the things that they were talking about at the same time, we've been talking about things like decentralization through the work that have been going on with the Web3, our investment into Web3. They were talking a lot about, of course, decolonization, which is a kind of key area for me, an area of interest and importance. And that, you know, they're obsessed with games. That was, you know, a really big part of their research. 
and they were had made one game before and were really interested in what it might be to develop a game as a kind of tool but also a game that would be connected to their, their own work in Web3. So they were, as well as being an artist that made games, that made primarily uh, digital sculptures, they were also invested in the Web3 space, they're also invested in tokens and have been experimenting with that themselves. So it felt like really a kind of coalescence of a lot of the things that we were already researching and interested in um, coming together. So the exhibition itself is going to be showcasing the game, which we are steadily, steadily coming to into production on. We're still producing it in the moment, so it's quite it's experimental. We are, yeah. Let me say, yeah. The game is kind of conceived as a platform, so Gabriel really thinks of their work as a platform for others as much as it is a space of expression for themselves. So the game is uh, we think of it as a beta game, and there's two huge levels. Each level has uh, three terrains in it, and each level has been developed alongside another featured artist. So level one is an artist called Castiel Vitorino Brasileiro. And level two is developed with someone called Edgar Navisimo. Navisimo Edgar. Um, and the sound, sorry, the game soundtrack is developed by someone called Lizza. So the game itself and the exhibition itself is really looking at um, world building. It's looking at taking a kind of decolonial approach to games, a decolonial approach to games, which means also looking at different ways to kind of decenter um, people's thinking from sort of Western narratives and Western ways of thinking. So. It is a kind of adventure game. You walk through, you go through, you play through an experience that leads you on a kind of journey of transformation and understanding as you um, kind of engage in these different tales that each artist has made within the space, within the wider narrative and the wider game law that Gabrielle has made. So for the exhibition, we've invited each of these artists within the game to also develop new commissions for the space. And we'll be presenting it in a kind of co-created environment, incredibly responsive system. So there will be game triggers that are changing things in the environment and you're really going to kind of get a sense of uh, a world changing and shifting to do with different things around all of the collaborators within the game are black Brazilians, Afro-Brazilian artists, and they're really looking at different ways of world building, different ways of thinking and healing and being in the world, especially with relationship to, for some of them, the environment, um, especially with relationship to, and um, for example, one of this Edgar's very connected to the city and the transformation and violence and pollution and more the ramifications of colonialism whereas Castiel is very focused on, for example, healing and very focused on what it is to transform and very focused on different ways to kind of decenter knowledge. So we're really excited about what's going to happen. We're really excited to be able to present the game in a space like this and really create an environment that actually we don't know what's going to happen. It's a, you know, an evolving ecosystem in the same way as we are in one and we're really you know, relying and excited for the audience to come and activate it over the summer. I have such appreciation for the approach of really prioritizing research and development and allowing artists to really play out their vision. And I feel like so often institutions have really built themselves to be focused on results and really focused almost exclusively on that, that it often can like hinder the process and the opportunity for the artist to really explore an idea fully. And it's so refreshing to hear how it can be done in in another way. And I'm curious if, I guess, any thoughts on how other galleries or, or artist spaces can be more focused on supporting the research and development and the process and the exploration? I can, I can take a first stab. Um, I think, <laughs> maybe I'll formulate some advice. I don't have some right now, but I'm just thinking about how we've 
taken this idea of research and development as the first phase that leads towards an outcome and tried to imagine that the R&D is in itself valuable as a kind of important site for making, uh, especially for artists who work with advanced technologies. Just, I mean, we're saying that because that's sort of our remit, but I think this is uh, applies, you know, kind of universally. I'm sure people would agree that it applies universally. And with the, the labs programs that we have, their entire purpose was to kind of circumvent the need to produce an outcome. So to create spaces that are outside of a kind of delivery schedule so that we could find a different rhythm. And each lab kind of follows a different model because we're still experimenting with the feasibility of, you know, what does research and development in an institution look like. And I should just mention that this work is spearheaded by Victoria Ivanova. And she was brought in as a, a PhD researcher between Serpentine and LSBU. And her entire work was about like formulating what this would look like. And then a kind of positive externality of that PhD was that a position formed for, for her to stay on and continue that work. But I would say... Oh yeah, I was talking about uh, like time time scales. So typically, when you create an exhibition, you know you have this kind of uh, pre-production period or research period, and then this kind of rush to finish something, and then the institution must move on to the next thing because you know that's how it goes. And the budgets end um, at the end of the financial year, and there's a lot of the sort of hidden structures of how an institution works that create the need to move on. It's it's not because the institution has lost interest or the, specifically the curators have lost interest at all. Uh, the artists need to move on to the next space and the, the curators need to as well. And so we are trying to really think about, you know, how can we work with longer uh, sort of budgets that really think in longer terms. So, you know, three years, five years, 10 years, 50 years, and working with partners like academic institutions or companies or uh, other sort of like para organizations who don't have that kind of one year turnaround so that we can actually make longer commitments. So I think it's not for lack of will, I guess is what I'm saying. I think the, the will is there and the interest to work in that way is there, but the sort of systems that are necessary aren't. Yeah, I'm also really interested to hear, um, because I think this is one example of um, how you're describing, like starting to shift focus or shift priorities onto a different but really crucial aspect of an artist's process or practice by really honing in on the research as being a, re a valuable, something valuable in and of itself and looking at how that could carry over beyond a fiscal year or beyond an exhibition timeline. Um, so I think that's maybe a segue into something that we wanted to talk a little bit about as well. And maybe the technology is a part of this, but I think even what you're describing has more to do with just what an institution might prioritize or even just like the like the structure of an organization. So maybe again, the technology is like a part of this, but um, I think what's also really interesting is how 
Serpentine as an organization is just kind of making some of these shifts. But something, I guess, for background that we've been talking a lot about recently on Beyond the Studio, um, or the way that our podcast started, was by interviewing other working artists about their career journeys and how they were supporting and sustaining their creative work. So all of the all of the work and thinking that goes on beyond the studio. And so naturally that's led to larger conversations about these systems and conditions that we're all working within. So I think we're especially curious about the ways that artists are using technologies not just as a medium in their work, but in support of their creative life. And I think you touched on this a little bit earlier, Ava, just how it's sort of like shaping the environment that we're in. And so I think an area of interest is how, you know, emerging technologies might be shaping the working conditions of artists for better or worse. And so I'm wondering um, if we could talk a little bit about that perspective or again maybe it's not exclusively tied to the technologies but has more to do with the way that organizations are rethinking how they're structured so yeah I'll just sort of open it up but I think that's something that we've been interested in um, as well as the technology as a medium but also the ways that it's um, sort of shaping the ways that artists are working Two things. I think like the sustainability of artist practices and the sustainability of public arts institutions are certainly under threat (laughs) Um, and have been, you know, historically. But some of the things that we're thinking a lot about, specifically inspired by a piece of research that we were doing on Web3 technologies and crypto generally was less around the specifics of the technology or the hype cycle itself and more about the kind of like emergent new ways of thinking that it could lead to specifically around ownership and governance and ideas of interoperability and kind of specialization so it was a kind of renaissance in terms of like cybernetic thinking around how we can work together differently and own things and for those systems not to just be reliant on us all being in the same place but that it could kind of transform into a you know we could transform that idea of cooperatives into a digital sphere where that equity is automated and trustless you know And, you know, for better or for worse, this whole kind of NFT craze has generated really productive conversations in the field. So, for instance, the blockchain lab that uh, we host at Serpentine that's uh, run by Ruth Catlow and Penny Rafferty is is working on kind of spinning out another project called Black Swan. And the project is really thinking about how can artists self-govern and kind of cut out the middleman in terms of uh, the funding that they're receiving. And it's super interesting because it asks all kinds of questions about, you know, how where is the point where cultural capital becomes super important in sort of siphoning funds? And then at what point, you know, do you need to automate different systems of distribution? And what, yeah. So I think these... If that's answering your question, I guess 
it's it's really about finding ways for the discourse creation that happens through the possibilities of these technologies and then driving them towards maybe more interesting solutions or possibly more complex solutions than just the market would allow for. I guess I'll um, just add on to that and say that we are, so the game, for example, is uh, powered by a blockchain company called Talos, and it's part of a longer-term two-year partnership that we So we're kind of testing on many different levels what it means to engage in these spaces. Um, the game itself, the exhibition, will have a token component, so you'll be able to make a token on site, which the artist is really thinking about as people being able to go through an experience of understanding um, an intention of understanding of the game and then kind of mint um, an aspect from the game which will be a game capture that they can then take away as a kind of moment of understanding but also an engagement in a wider community of token holders and as part of the process to be able to make this happen certain has had to open so this has already been like a huge um you know a huge setup you know a lot of conversations with the finance team with the trustees all of this about what does it mean to shift into a space like this because it's a very non-traditional way of course of them operating as an institution so the projects that we do um the conversations that i had in the labs and different spaces you know the blockchain lab was the first lab that was set up so it's been research that has been being undertaken um, and spearheaded, as I said, by Ruth and Penny for a number of years, um, but has also not sort of now started to, uh, I don't want to say infiltrate, but really, um, yeah, make that physical shift into what does that mean for the institution to take up those learnings and to start implementing things and testing things out on a, um, on other scales, you know. So I think it's it's really exciting just to be able to See, you know, and everything we do, we say, is also we're allowed for things to be experiments. So we are kind of also excited about what might happen from people, uh, our audiences kind of getting involved in this process, knowing that I think certain times, you know, the work that we do within Arts Tech is very unique in that we are still part of a legacy institution and we are still part of a traditional, in, in one of terms, institution. We don't operate, we kind of do, but we don't operate as a separate entity you know we are uh, combined and we do still exist within certain structures so it's always kind of a negotiation of what is the work that we're doing what is the work that the people that we're invested in are doing and how can that conversation also shift the wider art ecosystems that we are kind of exist within yeah i think those are the questions that we were really interested in hearing your perspective on too because um, like you said serpentine arts technologies is this sort of ground for experimentation but also existing within this larger legacy institution and so we were i think really um especially with the exhibition that you're currently working on what are what are some of those other ways that you've seen artists utilizing blockchain technologies besides maybe some of the more obvious examples like NFTs that everyone seems to to know about, but because you've been really collaborating alongside artists that are working at the forefront of some, you know, newer, who are really ex experimenting and exploring what, what that could look like. If there's, I guess, anything that you're seeing or excited about that could have greater implications for the ways that artists are working. I was going to say um, more broadly, I guess what's exciting is, you know, one of the labs that um, operates is the Legal Lab, which is headed up by someone called Alana Kushner and also Victoria. I think what's exciting about these spaces is on one side, the creative potential, yes, but 
essentially you are, I suppose, playing uh, what can be you know, as, a, as a, a contract. So I think one of the exciting things, of course, is that you can develop a work that also has a built-in contract that means certain terms and conditions are applied to the way that you're working, that you can kind of structure the certain ways that you want your work to be received, to be shared, to be distributed. All of these things, I think, as Ava was saying, these conversations kind of come into the mainstream and putting things that are talk about, I suppose, infrastructure uh, in a mainstream space is really the innovation, I think, or really what's exciting because it's putting these kind of back end things first and saying, well, actually, yes, but how is your work supported? How are you supporting yourself through the production of your work? I think one of the biggest things, to be honest, that Gabriel and I spoke about or speak about um, with regards to their tokens is more just in terms of freeing up space and time. It's more about how can they have a you know a space that also allows them to have a bit of a safety net or allows them to say no to certain things you know so i don't want to do that and i don't have to do that or i don't have to do this job that is really sacrificing the integrity of what i want to do or what i want to make because i have a little bit of a backup or i have a bit of a safety net and i think that kind of thing is invaluable to so many artists that you know don't might have to make work they don't want to or say yes to certain things because it's a job you know or it's a, an opportunity um, and there's not always the space to turn and every opportunity feels true to yourself or true as an artist so i think one of the big things for me is just seeing how it can kind of generate a bit of security for artists yeah approach of recognizing artists as whole humans needing you know safety net and support for their complete lives but i also really appreciate the way that that you're using these technologies to have these bigger conversations about the the broader potential impact for for how these can help artists how these can help our society and community as a whole so i'm i'm i guess it's not really a question more just appreciative of that uh perspective and kind of the the constant approach of trying to approach these technologies and with like very open eyes and fresh perspectives and the ability to to let them play and not just fall into like the I don't know pre-made structures of what these technologies were like designed to do or I don't know sort of running my thoughts (laughs) I mean I think all of the you know a lot of artists that are working with has even over this this time you know a lot of artists have started using blockchain that you might you know might not have ever been interested in it or have been very um inspired to just try things out which i've been quite i didn't expect it so much i think there's, there's definitely been a lot of initiatives and a lot of maybe more than um a lot of other spaces a lot of initiatives to just try there has definitely been a lot of artists that are kind of like you know they maybe they're skeptical at first or um there's one artist we're talking to and they were like comparing um, NFTs to like Instagram posts, which I thought was hilarious and amazing. Um, but I just didn't, you know, they were kind of like, well, it's just, you know, it's not going to take me very long. Let me just try it out. And I think that just try it perspective has really amped up in recent years, especially, of course, like even with um, recent things around ChatGPT or just different AI tools and, you know, a lot of this, um, I suppose, democratization of what it means to just try something is really exciting to me just in terms of people seeing that maybe from the beginning there's a different way that they could operate in this space or it encourages them from the beginning to hey maybe I could have a career in this space or I could try things because the uh, the jump to access has got so much smaller I think so that's also one of the things I think is really exciting about the space um, and it's exciting about you know blockchain in general that it's I think 
you know, Ava especially does a lot of work in terms of trying to, it's like our diagram queen, you know, does a lot of, you know, does a lot of working trying to kind of translate and make things accessible or make things readable or break down the difficulty of people getting involved in spaces that are regarding technology. So I think one of the big things is just, yeah, being enthused at people wanting to try or people wanting to make the jump or it not seeming like a silo anymore. I think also like we don't know what these technologies are going to be used for yet. You know, blockchain, machine learning, we we can see certain applications, but um, I was, I'm just quoting Benjamin Bratton because I was just reading this thing, not because he's the best, but just to say, you know, he was sort of saying like, just because it can, it, it is acting in a certain way doesn't mean that that is its function. You know, it can be it can be a space of violence or it can be race racist, but it's not racism and it's not violence. And like we're we're still conflating what it's being currently used for for what it is, and that's not like an admonishment at all of of the harms but it's just to say that like we're at the very early stages of understanding the implications of these technologies and like there's going to be so much more development like at the moment with AI we're talking so much about data and personal data which is super valuable but like soon we're going to start using synthetic data or like compute power will be more important so I think we need to like imagine these things as very tangible uh, and very complex big infrastructures that we're all trying to weigh into at the moment and for better or worse like with blockchain and ai somehow a lot of the like narrative building and thinking about its place in society is being litigated within the cultural sphere which is super interesting you know and it's probably for all of the reasons tomorrow mentioned that it, there's a kind of like easy onboarding process and also because a lot of tech companies probably think it's a very like kind of low-hanging fruit space to kind of test out like writing poetry or making images but actually the the cultural sphere ha has um you know a lot of capabilities and a lot of history with which to like completely turn all of these questions on their head. Yeah, I think you're sort of bringing up this mixture of emotions that a lot of people or a lot of artists might be feeling when it comes to some of these new developments. Like, you know, on the one hand, really seeing the potential or feeling excited and being willing to embrace it. And then um, on the other hand, a sort of fear around what, what are the implications or maybe even just feeling alienated because of the learning curve or like not fully understanding how they can engage on a personal level with these newer technologies. And so I feel like that's a really common like feeling that we were like seeing or encountering. And I'm so curious because you are both so immersed in this work and I think something else that's just been coming up a lot for us lately in recent conversations on the podcast is the idea of of infrastructure, like what does it look like or mean to create an infrastructure of support for artists? And well, and also just making a distinction between supporting 
the arts at large and supporting artists as individuals. Um, and then, you know, with that, like, what are some of the ways that technologies can, can serve in support of that? Um, and you mentioned the, the use of blockchain having so much more potential. I mean, one example I can even think of that we had also talked about recently with another artist was just the way that um, blockchain can be used to develop artist contracts, like you were saying, Tamar, or to to make the conversation around artists' resale royalties more mainstream. But it seems like there are a lot of discussions on how certain platforms or technologies are going to democratize something, like democratize the art world or the world, like social media is going to democratize access or cryptocurrency is going to democratize financial institutions. But I think some of the, maybe the fears around uh, the technology is rooted in the ways, um, like you were saying, Ava, that it's being currently used, where unfortunately it seems like a lot of these newer systems end up adhering to the same, or like falling into the same patterns where now it's just a large tech company that's controlling the algorithm, determining the kind of content that gets seen, or the companies behind the cryptocurrencies seem just as or even more prone to volatility or collapse than other financial institutions. And so I think there's like a mixture of, you know, want maybe wanting to embrace the potential, but a sort of fear that's rooted in some of the ways that it is currently been utilized. And so I'm curious to know what your like perspective is. It sounds like there's still a lot of optimism and just whether you feel like there is truly potential for certain technologies to to democratize certain aspects of the art world. Two things. <laughs> One, I think it's really important and something Victoria and I were just talking about after reading a great paper by uh, Divya Siddharth from the Collective Intelligence Project. And in the paper, she sort of talks about the conflation of like open source, transparent and democracy as a term. And that really what we need to be talking about is the govern governance structures. So, or sorry, a governance layer of these kind of technology infrastructures, if we see them as a stack. So, you know, just because something is open source does not mean that people, that there's like open governance of it, for instance. And that like, that's where we need to be like waging these fights, basically. And I think when you start talking about governance, then very quickly you end up talking about something much wider than the technology itself, but in fact, society. And Naomi Klein wrote a really succinct, great piece in The Guardian about AI technologies and the kind of, so she, what she did, which I thought was great, was she turned the idea that, you know, these large language models are hallucinating. And she said, actually, the people who are selling them I'm not going to name any names, are, are the ones who are hallucinating because they keep following these sort of absolutely insane ideas about how it's going to save society. And she just breaks down really nicely how when, you know, if we're going to have a real conversation about AI and automation and the kind of free time that we'll all have, then we actually need to be having conversations about free healthcare and free housing, maybe basic, you know, universal income. And suddenly we're not talking about technology anymore. We're like talking about socialism. So I think that's kind of where I land on those conversations that they, they can't just be uh, like litigated through the technologies themselves. 
Yeah, I feel like that's such an important. Oh, sorry, Tamar. I agree. I think it's always a you know at the end of the day. Um, about the architecture biennale in Venice and the one of the curators for the uh, British Pavilion, Joseph Henry, and he was talking a lot about the fact that you know what they're trying to do at the moment is what they were trying to do with the pavilion was create architecture that didn't almost didn't announce itself or architecture that actually shed light or shed uh, reflected the the glow back onto the people if that makes sense so instead of it being about the building it was about the people um, and what does it mean to make a building or make it a structure that throws relief or throws light back onto the people that use it uh, and i think we're trying to approach it in a similar way i think that that is a shift that is happening um just in terms of what does it mean to create a project or create a infrastructure that thinks about sustainability first or thinks about who might be the next person to who might be receiving that project or who might be the next person to see it and really kind of looks at itself a bit more um looks at itself a bit more critically so um for example with the name we're really interested in um you know what might it mean to develop even a new touring model through the game and i should say this is also a project that's been developed um along with a watson as well who's the head of arts and artists um and with our producer they also have voices and other producers um all incredible thinking about who you know what does it mean to develop a, you know what, what would it mean if you were to give this exhibition to a an institution but also say hey you have to make another level or hey you have to continue investing in the development of the project so in terms of even with the token side of it um there have been lots of conversations around what would it mean to give the capacity to the players to then develop the next level or what does it mean to um build a project that kind of again like throws relief or throws the throws the net out, I suppose, and says like, hey, continue developing with us, or is that interesting to you, come into the project. But equally, I think that we work, try to work in a way that allows us to kind of develop, you know, we've been developing this game ourselves, which is very unusual. It's a team of about 15 of us in total, including all the developers, the UI, the sound, everything, animation. But, you know, we've brought this in-house, which means that we're also developing the know-how to make something like this, which is something, you know, like Ava said, in terms of coming on, coming at um, projects from a kind of maker perspective and coming at it from what does it mean to know practically what it means to produce something and to kind of be able to have that sensibility to know a little bit um, more, kind of understand a little bit more what that production means for artists, for developers, for people involved. So I think that's also a big part of democratization, just understanding the process and something that I think we try to allow ourselves to do through the projects and the way that we work as well. I don't know if that's answered the question. I was just thinking about it and thinking about, you know, that is a really important part of what it means to democratize, I think, is just learning and understanding as well. And the kind of having that wider perspective on, you know, I, I care to do this thing because I know to a certain degree what that means to do that or just having a bit more insight rather than it being a kind of yeah project without without that without that knowledge or understanding just from what i know about video games that's also such an immense undertaking for such a small group of people to be building out this entire landscape and universe from scratch with brand new tools that you're also building like that is it's so cool and 
interesting. And I think that technology a lot of times, uh, which we've been talking about, like we society or humans, we often have this fear of new technology and think like, oh no, what's it going to do? How is it going to wreck things as they are now? But it's such an opportunity for making things better and making things new and and such a, a platform for creativity. And if we filter, I don't know, everything we don't know or understand through what we have experienced before, it puts such a cap on what we can experience in the future if that makes any sense. So I, I'm so interested in this conversation around technology and how just the way that you're marrying history and future and looking at our past human experiences and, and storytelling and, and using these new technologies as ways to further communicate those experiences and those stories and to continue to help others to be able to share their stories in, in new ways as well. Thank you. That's really nice to hear. Also, Tamara's been working her ass off on this game and this exhibition. It's it's going to be in, insane. But as with everything we do, we pretend, we lie to ourselves and pretend we're just going to do a simple thing and then always and then it just, we get excited and we're all very ambitious and, you know, it's we we're allowed to be in this experimental place and things just get bigger and bigger and bigger and we're, we're all just like we have to do it we have to do it <laughs> is that the artist way <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think yeah i mean i think it's quite a, it's interesting that everyone in our no i can't say everyone yeah a majority of the people within our team also come from you know, a maker or artist background. I used to write or do write. Um, I had a, I have a very dormant artist practice. But, um, you know, it, I think it's, we are also inspired by the work that we do and also want to be able to kind of, you know, get involved in the process as much as possible. It is very unusual, I think, that we are able to get involved in production as much as we are but it's something that I think all drives us and continues uh, to drive us every day to be able to, you know, really want to put, you know, push these things forward. And every time we do a project, we really take the time to sort of understand the tools or, you know, Ava was going to talk about the, the series that you did with Arbyte, which was just, just in terms of like, you know, making the process or making the back end of, and, you know, having those conversations and sharing that process with people. It being really important that, you know, the game, for example, is really think about it as a kind of pedagogical sorry, tool. You know, it is about, for Gabrielle, they were very, very frustrated by the lack of, I suppose, educational games or like the lack of games that were not focused on violence. And they're very big on education. One of the token, doing kind of two token collections for the game, for the exhibition. And one is, uh, one of the one of the token collections is intended to kind of generate a digital, a pool for digital literacy uh, initiatives within Brazil. Uh, this is something that's kind of ongoing within their practice. They're very passionate and very keen on how to kind of uh, I suppose pay things forward so for us to be able to also you know get involved in that and also to share the work we do in various ways you know there's a twitch um, platform that we launched a couple of years ago with the start of uh, with the launch of day two which hosts a lot of back-end conversations it hosts on one side kind of more um, I suppose experimental tests I suppose with artists but on the other side you know hosts conversations hosts um, sessions with different lab partners or different people from the labs to also kind of share a lot of the work and conversations that are going into things so that we can 
hopefully kind of, I suppose, build the network and build people's understanding along the way and create also, you know, the platform has been designed in a way with incredible designer called Roxy that I hear, also a favor, um, to really, like I'm saying again, you know, to really sort of democratize the way that people kind of engage with this knowledge and are able to, you know, there's a chat room, it's, it's a gamified uh, arena, you know, people are really able to kind of put their questions in there and learn along with us because we also don't know, you know, it's also about us asking questions and saying what happens when we do this, we don't know, but we're going to learn real, we're going to learn this, so we want to see what can happen or could be possible. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that idea of using the exhibitions as a tool for education as well, that not only are you all learning about the potentials for, you know, how artists can use technologies, but it's a way to let others into that process. And I'm just so happy that we get to spotlight like two of you working within an arts organization who are working around the clock to make these happen. I think we don't often get to see also truly the the immense amount of work that goes into putting on a project or an exhibition like this and something that we talk a lot about on the podcast um, just with other artists in terms of making visible the sort of unseen parts of their practice is how valuable that really is for creating a sense of, of value around something. Um, you know, it's hard to to value something that we can't really see or understand. And so I think just looking for ways to make that process visible, whether it's like having conversations about the, you know, behind the scenes of sustaining a studio practice or talking about what really goes into coordinating and collaborating with artists and putting on an exhibition of this scale. Um, so I think it's really important that we get to sort of shed light on that. And I'm really um, grateful to you both for talking about that process too and the ways that, that you're learning alongside. You know the artists and everyone you're working with. Definitely. Thank you so much. I feel like it's like, there was one thing I was gonna bring up also, just in terms of um, metrics that I thought maybe Ava you wanted to talk about as well, just in terms of different ways of measuring. One of the big things from Fa two was, um, and kind of yeah, going into Fa three was looking at different ways to measure value or, or yeah, going into Fa three more what it meant to measure value or what are metrics of success and. I think it's also something that people are, we're also very actively trying to ask ourselves with things. What does it mean to develop a project that grows? What does it mean to um, help an artist to build a studio team? What does it mean to do any of these things that also allow us to think and um, develop projects differently in the future that hopefully kind of acknowledge the way that we live now and the more kind of decentralized way that we operate and hopefully the more democratized way we operate as well. Maybe it would be worth mentioning because we've been saying Faye I realize we're using this acronym, but uh, maybe to go into it a little. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. You're referring to future art ecosystems. Is that right? Yeah. No, I just realized that like um, maybe in the whole conversation, I haven't been careful about defining things and but maybe that's fine. <laughs> no, I'm glad that you brought it up. That was definitely something that we wanted to ask you more about. And um, especially when you were making note just recently about how, you know, these conversations around technologies often lead us to having much more 
human conversations about, you know, how how are people and artists supported um, in society. So we've been um, getting to talk with some folks recently that have uh, been working on reports, especially in the wake of the pandemic, that just examine the ways that artists are supported, whether it's here in the United States or beyond that. And so um, we were definitely really excited to talk with you all about future art ecosystems and what were some of the findings around that. So this is a perfect opportunity. <laughs> um, yeah, so F- Future Art Ecosystems is an annual strategic briefing, and it's uh, produced by our team, uh, specifically led by Victoria Ivanova. And um, it involves a huge network of people to put it together. So we um, conduct interviews with contributors, we host roundtables and workshops, um, all to feed into this kind of idea of how do we reconfigure the art ecosystem. And in that we're including artists, curators, uh, the entire sort of idea of like funders and uh, producers and galleries and on a commercial level and a public level. Um, How do we reconfigure this ecosystem um, in order to really produce a world where the impact of what artists create and how we create as groups um, in the cultural sphere has an impact on um, the public for a better good or like a public good. And I think the impetus for that is definitely because public arts funding is is, uh, kind of waning and we need to develop new and really compelling arguments for why sort of technological innovation can be social innovation and also why artists need to participate in innovation full stop through all different kinds of artistic practices not just art and technology practices and uh, it's important also I think that the report comes from within an institution that is very embedded in the way that artists work and not from like a consultancy group where you're oftentimes getting these kind of industry uh, reports that inform policy. And so I don't, you know, I think we're sort of positioning ourselves, you know, not only to policy, also to our community, um, but it's, it's, I would say a rare instance of really thinking about this as a like thermodynamic system that relies on each other and not just sort of plucking out the artist and their practice or plucking out the gallerist and the commercial sort of market, but understanding them all in tandem. And I think what we do in each uh, publication is really to to take one maybe technology or one phenomena at a time and understand it on this sort of infrastructural level. So um, the systems that are necessary to create something, to um, support it and to distribute it or potentially to own it in different kinds of ways. And this year, which I'm super excited about, we're kind of transitioning from just being um, kind of a site of language creation or argument creation or proposition creation to trying to actually be a space for building and building in community with other people. Um, It's something that obviously we couldn't necessarily have known that there was going to be 
interest in it when we started and now that we're on the third year we see that there are um, other institutions who are using some of the models that have come out of Faye. There are policy organizations who are interested in supporting work, you know, towards this realignment. So now is where we kind of put our money where our mouth is <laughs> and work on these building projects. And we've got a really interesting thing emerging. It will probably launch in a couple months, but it's a new partial common ownership license that's developed by the R&D platform at Serpentine and a Radical Exchange, who are an organization who are thinking about kind of new systems of political, sorry, new political economies and doing that um, in the next few years through ownership. So yeah, it's um, kind of complicated in the sense that it's like, why would an art institution be taking on this kind of work and a lot of people don't see it, but it's there under the surface, sort of. We're collecting everything from the projects that we're doing and learning from them, and then we're trying to feed that back in, um, not only to our own work, but obviously to our friends, collaborators, and, and wider ecosystem, as we like to call it. Mm-hmm. I feel like it makes so much sense to, to do it this way, because if you're already doing the research you have access to the tools, why not continue to to do that, to continue further diving into the research and finding ways for it to be accessible more broadly and for, yeah, just the, the potential of these technologies to keep going. And it reminds me of what we had talked about a little bit before around the concept of like artists self-funding and creating these uh, ecosystems where we support one another and where we I guess, build up our own infrastructures and say, okay, this infrastructure is not working for us. However, we have tools and capabilities and creativity to come up with newer ones that are more supportive. And I probably will also be thinking about the um, thing we had said, or that had been said before around uh, how can we, or what does it mean to build infrastructure that reflects light back onto the people? And it feels like that's such, that's so deeply embedded in this approach where it's it really is about creating a better environment and support system for every artist to have more autonomy to create and be. The British Council reported that 13% of artists are able to make a living off of just their artwork alone. And it really made us think, you know, what do we need to change in order to create the kind of society where we actually support this work? Because I want to live in a world where the kind of creative and social innovation is at the core of the way that society moves forward. And I think metrics are really important to that because they're defining the roadmap or like the goals of the roadmap. If the goal is footfall and um, eyeballs and clicks, we're going to produce a certain reality. Um, so you know, having more clearly defined public missions that are the end point of where we're trying to get to with certain modes of working with artists and technology are going to create a new world. Yeah, like we don't have to convince fellow artists and arts workers that there is immense value in creative labor, but it's about reminding the rest of the world like, hey, we're doing a whole lot here and it's extremely important. And if you just can can see the value there, then hopefully the support system will come, 
but yeah, we're we're here screaming like, please pay attention to creative labor and and value it deeply. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we wholeheartedly agree. I'm just so excited to hear you talk about this because I feel like it it makes perfect sense in hearing about your own histories as practitioners, as researchers, and just the perspective that you are bringing into the work that you're doing. And then also the emphasis on things like research and development and looking at ways of, again, like supporting different stages of the artistic process or like even more broadly, not just limiting it to a conversation around just arts or just technology, but um, looking at how, you know, everything is so interconnected. And so I feel like it's exciting to know that that is the perspective that you all are bringing to this work. And that, again, like Amanda's saying, there's lots of like grassroots organizations and conversations amongst artists around the value of creative labor and work, but it feels like it needs to be a really um, like cohesive effort between you know, not just artists, but arts institutions. And I think the fact that you're bringing so many different um, like cultural workers together for these future art ecosystems uh, to to have conversations that are not so siloed, but to really think about like where the connection points and like what kind of issues are impacting um, all of us collectively that seems to be the way forward. And so I'm just excited to hear more about some of those building projects and what's coming up and if we're interested or if listeners want to find out more about some of the research or about some of these newer projects you mentioned what's the best way for them to um, find that um you can learn about the work of future art ecosystems at futureartecosystems.org and we also have a Telegram channel and a, a community call that happens quarterly. Um, so we're about to launch a new website. So for now, the best way to kind of follow updates is to go to futureartecosystems.org and sign up for the newsletter. Maybe, Tammy, you want to tell like about the exhibition opening dates or something like that? Um, exhibition of like the bottom dimensions, the full title, um, opens on the 23rd of June, runs till the 23rd of October. And the best way currently to uh, open about the exhibition about the game is via the Seven Web page, um, which is serpentinegalleries.org, and then search for Third World. Uh, we will be, the game itself is also going to be uh, released on Steam. So there will be a possibility to download that uh, on Steam, which we will uh, link to in the uh, project webpage on the Serpentine webpage as well. So that's the best place now. We do have a very active and insane project discord that is uh, never, never ending, never popping, always popping. But for the moment, um, we the webpage is the best, best place for that. Uh, and I should just say that I think um, just to your point on, you know, supporting things, I think one of the big things also that we try to recognize in you know projects as they roll projects as they run it, it is always you know artists working on technologies but you know any artist really it's, it's it's never a solo process so i think one of the big shifts has really been even just acknowledging that and you know thinking okay well we're working with one artist but what does it mean who are they really working with like what how does their team break down and even if their team is you know one day's you know, advice session or one one advisor session or one figuring out that we really have to support everyone that goes into each artist's ecosystem as well, um, and trying to factor that into the way that we work too. 
for you know more realistic budgets more realistic timelines all of these things so i think we are always going to actively build that into projects and yeah advocate advocate for the work that artists are doing that we're doing that their network is doing and trying to be kind of connectors between all of that and yeah we're just excited to all your listeners if anyone's in london please come to the show online please have on the web pages um try the game you should uh follow on twitch follow service on the we stream Oh, about twice monthly. Once a month, it, it changes. Sometimes it changes, but we try our best. best. <laughs> <laughs> we try and do as much as possible. Um, we are about to launch. We have just launched a new uh, season. So yeah, join us. Get involved. Get in the chat room and just send us messages. We're all we're very we're all really lovely people. Yeah, and shout out to our colleagues, um, Alex Boys and Rasheen McVeigh and Kay Watson and Victoria Ivanova. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much. I feel like um, this is just such a like a paradigm shift and hearing you all just talk about your work in such a collaborative and holistic way has been really exciting. So um, Mm -hmm. we're just really grateful that we had an opportunity to speak with both of you. And I guess before we wrap it up, um, is there anything that you feel like we haven't discussed that you would want to bring up or um, anything else coming up that you're excited about um, that you just want to make mention of? I feel like we've just scratched the surface on so many topics, but Mm -hmm. I want to be mindful of your time and busy schedules. You've got an exhibition to plan, games to build. Games to build, exhibitions plan. I mean, there's always... Yeah, we, as Ava said, I think we are we're always very guilty of just, you know, we try and dial it back and then we just get excited and like more things. Um, Every meeting is like, we are going to be more realistic about our capacity. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounds yeah. like me and Nicole's podcast meetings too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, there's, there's a lot coming up. So I'd say just keep an eye out on the pages and, and Sign up to everything and you'll get all the updates. We do have our own um, Arts Technologies newsletter as well. So if you navigate to those pages, Arts Technologies page on Serpentine, you can stay um, up to date on everything um, because there's always a million things going on. So if anyone's yeah, in London, um, send us a message. We'd love to message you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much yes, for this time. It's so great to meet you both. Yeah, thank you so thank much. You. This has been such a lovely conversation. And I'm excited to listen back because you both dropped so many beautiful nuggets of knowledge. And I'm I'm grateful that we got to record it. <laughs> I hope so. Oh, my God. I'm like so exhausted. I hope we are coherent. <laughs> if you need us to like define anything, let us know. Yeah. Oh, you were both brilliant. This was amazing. And we'll link all the references and things in the show notes so people can, you know, find the articles and such. But this was great. Great. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. That's all for today's episode of Beyond the Studio. You can find episode notes, images, links, and references over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to submit to our listener spotlight and sign up for our email list to find out about upcoming guests, events, special announcements, podcast giveaways, and more. 
If you love listening to Beyond the Studio, please leave us a rating and review and share the show with your creative community. Thanks. Like met the met. Wait, let me say that again. Because <laughs> um, I I got excited about uh, Tamar's metrics comment also, and I wanted to work it in, and it failed. But um, what was I saying? It was like um, oh yeah. So 